welcome. Thank you for joining us here at AmazingLove.org. And, uh, you know, it's been a dream of mine to reach people all across the world with a message of Jesus and his love. And so whether you're joining us from near or far, so glad that you're here. And we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So if he's blessed you by this ministry, please email us at impactatamazinglove at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this ministry and make sermons like this possible every week ongoing, please go to amazinglove.org and go to our giving tab. But now may God bless you. May he guide you. May he speak into your life and direct you all through the power of his love. Thank you. Some of you may know I've been gone a couple of weeks, and i got to tell you, it's good to be back. What I've recognized is that a real family is a church family. And sometimes a church family has stronger bonds even than your immediate family. And so I just wanted to say it's good to be back. Uh, but while I was gone, I, I recognized something uh, uh, with the world, a principle perhaps. I recognize that not everything is right in this world. And to give you an example, uh, do you hear what happened in Orlando? In Orlando, um, we had three things that happened. First, there was an outspoken Christian. Her name was Christina Grimmie. And uh, she was known from The Voice, and she was known for singing a lot of Christian songs as well. And uh, in fact, I wanted to share with you one of uh, her Christian songs. It's called In Christ Alone. Maybe some of you know it. Uh, just to give a flavor of how good she was. So if you'll permit me to show you a, a quick video. There So she sung beautifully that she has no fear in death because she knows a risen Savior. But maybe you know her story. She was shot while she was singing. And the reason the shooter didn't continue shooting is because her brother actually pinned him down and he took his own life. And then I heard a boy and a father's worst nightmare, the Grand Floridian, where an alligator took that boy and drowned that boy. And then maybe the story you all have heard, even if you didn't hear those, was the 50 who were shot at Pulse nightclub. 
And I was in Orlando during all of them. And it was surreal. It was surreal because I talked to church members who knew people affected by that shooting. And church members who had been to that concert venue where Christina Grimmy was, and they had this reflection. I know of those stories happening other places, but, it, but it's a little bit different when it happens so close to home. And so I commend to you again this principle. Would you agree with me? Not everything is right in this world. I don't know when the first time you noticed that was. You don't need an Orlando story, do you? Maybe for you it was uh, a parenting, and you thought parenting, which was just going to be a, a ball of laughs and joy all the time, man, it's kind of hard sometimes. Maybe it was a first job, thought it would be more fulfilling. I, I don't know what your story is, but maybe you had an experience that told you not everything is right with this world. You, you know what I'm saying? Well, we're in this series called Encounters. And it's okay, again, to have questions. It's okay to wrestle with the world. But I don't think the real question is, you know, is the world right or is it wrong? I think we know we're not living in utopia. Rather, I would permit to you, maybe this is the real question that we have. And it's here. How do we fix what's wrong with the world? See, stories like Orlando, they prove again that there's something wrong. We get it. But what maybe you're craving, and I know what I'm craving, is what's the answer? How can we fix? Where's the hope? Where's the silver lining? Who has something to say that will bring power and healing to these situations? Well, that's what we want to consider. So you ready? Let's get into it. Um, our story for today is the wedding party. And I believe Jesus is going to answer this question through what he does. And uh, so uh, we're going to get into it. We're going to read from it. Um, here is the disciple John who recorded it. Uh, the, the eyewitness who was there at the wedding party. The eyewitness who uh, says he was the disciple that Jesus loved. And I love that because he wrote that about himself. I, I hope that's true about Dustin, that I'm the disciple Jesus loved. You know, and, and uh, not in the same level, but it's, it's pretty cool that he wrote that about himself. And, and where Jesus is at this point, you need to know, is he's just starting his earthly ministry. So he's just going to start saying, I am the Messiah. I am the promised one who has come. And this is one of his first actions. So let's get into it. I'm going to read the whole thing. I invite you to follow along. Middle of where you should folder, John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman. Why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Well, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, especially washing of feet as they sat down at the table, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then Jesus told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. The servants who drew the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. May God bless us as we dive in. We're going to just dissect some of these words and learn from it today. 
You know, I will never forget starting Amazing Love. Uh, some of you were here with me. Um, we are about eight years old. I remember getting a call about eight years. We started in the cafetorium of Hickory Creek here in Frankfurt. And, and I remember trying to, uh, along with the core group, bring our very best. So before our opening service, we sent out 10,000 postcards to the community, and we did that twice. At our grand opening, we, we got one of those big balloons, you know, it says grand opening, they have in car places, right, you know, because that was our big thing. We are going to give away free t-shirts, we had free Aurelio's pizza, we had celebration, you, you got it, and, and all that was going on, and, and I wanted to give my very, very best because we were just starting. Maybe there are some of you who have ever uh, started a business, and you know the value of a first impression. And so you know that you want to give it your all. You want to give your very best, just as we did. Uh, here's one of my favorite pictures of our grand opening balloons, T-shirts. We had pizza. It's a great time. And this is why Jesus' first miracle to me is a head-scratcher. Okay, Jesus is just starting his ministry, right? And we know what Jesus can do. He can raise the dead. He can heal crippled people who have never walked. He'll say, get up and walk. He can open the eyes of the blind, which is why Jesus, out of all the first things you could do, water into wine? But it makes me realize something I love about Jesus. The first point I want to take away, the first point from this story is this, that your small issues, they're not a bother for the big God. You know what I'm saying? But let's take again this wedding couple. It was a relatively small issue. Yes, without wine, the party would have been done, but really just extending the party, Jesus, Jesus knew the social implications, and he answered. It kind of reminds me today, I, I heard of, uh, of this Super Bowl winner, uh, Peyton Manning. Uh, maybe you know he, he's a Christian, maybe you don't know. Well, I heard him in an interview, and, and he said that before the Super Bowl, he actually didn't pray for the outcome. And he said words of, I think God is probably up to bigger things than just a football game. And Well, I understand that principle. I understand his view of God. In fact, I even understand that we should prioritize our prayer life. In fact, when Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, he was teaching us to pray for spiritual things and prioritize. But let me ask you, would Peyton Manning have been bothering God if he prayed about the outcome? Would it have been too much? Would it have been too laborious, too exhausting for God to handle? No! No! And this is what, the first thing I want to lead with you. You can come to God not just when you are deathly ill. You can come to God when you have a headache. You can come to God not when uh, you, your, your child makes news because they're such a rebel, but when they get a C on the science test. You can come to God with that. You can come to God with what you might think is petty and know that because he is unlimited, he can answer the smallest of things along with those big things, as he did with his first miracle. So that opens my eyes to the compassion of God. He doesn't just care about the big things in your life. He cares about the small and just wants communion and discussion with you. That's the first point. But then the miracle itself. The miracle is so extraordinary because, I don't know if you were counting, but they had six stone jars and they hold 20 to 30 gallons. So to my estimation, what Jesus just did was made 150 gallons of wine. And this isn't three-buck chuck. 
This isn't the box wine. This isn't the, the Aldi wine that, you know, you pick out for $6. This is, I believe if you've ever been at a fancy restaurant, they give the wine list, and you've ever, like, pretended that you knew what that meant. Oh, yes, good vintage. <laughs> it was that stuff. It was the stuff that everyone was like, wow, why would you pay that much for a bottle of wine? Jesus was making 150 gallons of wine for this party. And I don't know about you, but I love a party God. I really do. I love a God who knows me so well and is not only my Savior but my friend that he will sit down and have a beer with me or have some wine with me. And this is a good God. The God who was, I believe, saying by 150 gallons, guess what? I'm the life of the party. I am where the true party is at. Now, as Lutherans, uh, I probably don't need to tell you about the freedom we have in drinking alcohol. That's not our context. You know that freedom. But maybe I should just caution, say, um, uh, even though we can use alcohol, we know where the line is, and that is drunkenness. So I just wanted a caution. I don't want to take away from the point of a party God, but again, a caution, knowing that some good things can actually be used for bad. Uh, for those who didn't grow up Lutheran, uh, especially if you're a Baptist background, this might be news to you. I don't know how this miracle is ever explained, but again, you're free to drink alcohol, uh, but again, uh, responsibly. So, but back to the point, did you know that God is a party God? In fact, I would give you a vision of what heaven is. Consider this passage from Isaiah. This was a picture of heaven. On this mountain, a picture of heaven. The Lord will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. I love this principle because I believe so many times we felt we've had to have a fake joy when it comes to God. You know what I'm talking about? Or like the church smile, like I'm not happy, but hey, I see you in church and I better be happy now, right? We don't have to be that way with God. We can have the, the type of joy that makes you want to dance when no one's looking. The type of joy that is true joy, that is good joy, to recognize the best of our lives came from God. That's what we consider. And so Jesus changes water into wine, and we learn from this. I wanted to tell you an experience I had that proved that God was a party God, if you'll let me. Um, this past uh, couple weeks, we were on vacation, and uh, we booked a hotel through Hotwire. I don't know if you ever used Hotwire, but it's a way to get a cheap hotel, but you don't know what you're getting. And uh, we booked one, and, and uh, we called, and we said, hey, we're a family coming into this town, and uh, if you have any extra space, you know, we sure would appreciate it. Hey, why not, you know? We get there, and there's this uh, check-in lady named Ken. Ken's amazing. She says, we got you the upgrade. And she gives us a tour of the, the place. It's a Hyatt Regency. It's a really nice hotel. He says, there's a Starbucks, and there's our restaurant, and here's the elevators. I'll leave you there. We get into our room, and the first thing we see is a hallway that's a good sign. <laughs> After the hallway, we turn the corner. It is the biggest hotel room we have ever been in. We had a great scenic view of New Orleans. That's where we were. We had plenty of space just to party. Ken not only did that, but went out of the way. We had those New Orleans masks that you could wear and two dolls for the girls. And we were just in the euphoria of whenever it just went well. And, you know, for a $100 room, that was pretty good. Anyway, um, <laughs> and we were like, yes, okay, awesome. And then I asked the girls, where'd this good room come from? What's the answer? Have you had an experience like that? 
Have you had a place, a vacation? Do you wear something? Do you drive something? Do you live in something that you're just like, this is awesome, right? You know, like this is just just fun, like flat out, right? And, and, And what we need to recognize when we wrestle with what's wrong is we need to recognize where the right came from. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's one of the big principles. We get hung up on, on the justice of God, but, but recognize where the right come from. And, and when you recognize all the good, all the right, you have to say along with me, it came from our Father's hand because he loves his kids. And I don't know what you know, but he's a party God. But if we're going to recognize what's right, we also need to then say with this question, where did the wrong come from? How did, get things, how did things get to be the way they are? I believe the Bible has an answer for this as well. Look at this passage. For out of the, can you say this word? For out of the, out of the heart come evil thoughts, come murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. When, when it comes to those shootings in Orlando, what was the problem there? I don't want to be political, but was it really about gun control? Wasn't it about a heart? Isn't it about hearts that lead people to do what they do in wrong ways? It's the hearts of those shooters that led them to do those things. But it's not just a shooter's heart we need to be aware of, is it? If we're truly honest, there's something in each of our hearts that isn't all right. There's a darkness There's what we call sin. There are things we wish we wouldn't think, wish we wouldn't do, but it is there. So as we ask the question, what's wrong with the world, we have to understand we're actually part of the problem as well because of a sinful heart. But Jesus is the answer. Jesus was the answer for this mess as he made a miracle, and Jesus is the answer. He is the fix for what's wrong with the world. And I believe that we have an account that maybe teaches us how he's going to solve what's wrong. When you read this, were you ever struck at that interchange between Jesus and his mother Mary? Now, first of all, we know Jesus is sinless, but but it seems like Jesus is disturbed, doesn't it? Let's just look at that interchange, verses 3 and 4 again. It says, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. And I believe she, she knows, you know, uh, this is the Son of God. She heard the angel's announcements, so she knows Jesus could do something about it. But, but then look at his, like, they're like pointed words, aren't they? You know, th- these aren't like the most respectful words. I'm not accusing of sin, but they're just pointed. Look, it says, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. I've wondered what might have been going through Jesus' mind at this time. And I came with a guess. And it's not a guess that I came up with. Another commentator came up with it. Um, but, but this is maybe what was going on. When did Jesus deal with wine? I'm talking to Christians now, Bible scholars. When other times did Jesus deal with wine? So, so we got the Lord's Supper, which is a party, which is a party we celebrated at 9 a.m. this morning. That was awesome. But how about another time Jesus actually drank wine? Does anyone know? On the cross. Does anyone remember this account? John would later say this about Jesus and wine. Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar. This wasn't the best. Wine vinegar. They used it to clean sometimes latrines. Wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. 
Is it possible that when Mary came and said about wine, and he says, my hour has not yet come, he was thinking about this hour? Is it possible he's so upset because he knows, according to his divinity, his Godhead, what he will someday have to do? That's the question I propose. But regardless, we know that's how he's going to fix this world. That Jesus, he's going to have to lose joy to give us joy. See, what's going to have to happen is Good Friday will come. Maybe not that hour, that day, but someday all his disciples would leave him. He would be betrayed. He would be denied. He would lose access to his father. And yes, he would have to drink that bitter wine while everyone else could gain the good wine for all eternity. And that is the fix, my friends. Because Jesus drank that wine on that day, we have joy. Because he drank that wine on that day, we look forward to the finest of wines in heaven with the Lord. Because Jesus has cleansed the darkness of our hearts. He has cleansed us and made us clean and pure once again. Jesus is the answer. His cross is the answer. And Jesus performs heart transformations every time this word is preached to know that we can be washed clean too. You know, it was interesting in Orlando, I heard people talk about unity. Let's be united. And there was a sense that they wanted to show love and true unity. And I just craved to preach Jesus. (laughs) Because when Jesus is there, true unity can be found. As a family of God, as children who weren't perfect, but children who were washed clean by what he did because he drank that wine that day. That is the reality. That Jesus is the only fix for what's wrong with this world. But I need to tell you, I need to caution you, you're only going to get glimpses of his goodness here. He's not going to give you the full-out glory. He's not going to give you the full-out goodness. Otherwise, you'd think heaven was here. No, I need to caution you. You live in a veil of tears. You will have trouble. You will have suffering. You will go through some things where the only glimpse of hope and glory is His. Because of what's truly coming someday. This past week, as I got back, I had a chance to preach for a convention, give a devotion. And it was all about the new Jerusalem, or heaven. I gave you one picture of heaven. Can I give you another? Here's another picture. It said, The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. And it went from diamonds to amethyst to the best stones you could imagine. The, the, the great street of city was that of gold, as pure as transparent glass. Now this was symbolic language, but it was trying to tell us what is coming in store for eternity It's better than you can imagine. It's better than what you see on HGTV. It is the best, and that's our forever place. So what are we to do with this message? Can I close with a thought? And to close, I want to give you my last experience on vacation. Are you ready? Uh, I remember going to a hotel room, and if you ever notice that not every hotel has everything you need, you know what I'm saying? And particularly the snacks. 
Um, so for the Bloomer family, we get to the hotel, and what we need to go on a search for is combos. Uh, specifically the pretzel outside and the cheese inside, so, so that's what we do. And uh, so we go to Target, and, and, and we're going, and, and we're getting some combos. And uh, while we're there, uh, I walk by, and I see those plush towels. Now, does anyone else know the goodness of like a fresh, clean towel? The one that has never been washed, how soft and fuzzy it is. Anyone go with me here, please? Okay, thank you. And uh, I, was, I was looking at my wife, and I'm like, well, we're on vacation, you know? Uh, what do you think? Can, can we get a towel? I kind of like the fuzziness, you know? It'd be a really cool addition to our hotel room. We could do that beach anyway. And, and she says, yes, because we're on vacation. It's great. So, yeah, it's very good. So we got combos. We got a plush towel. Well, we kept on walking, and, and we got to the fan section. Now, in Florida, it's been really hot, like brutally hot. And I was a little bit curious about the AC of our room, you know, wondering if it would really hold out. So I saw one of those Dyson fans. And it was like through some wizardry that that loop is a fan. And I've always been curious how that works, you know. And uh, I, I had what was a sign from God that I should buy it, which was a red clearance sticker. And if that isn't a sign from God that I should buy the Dyson fan, I don't know what is. So, so, <laughs> so I look over to my wife and I say, well, what do you think? You know, we could have a towel, we could have combos and a fan. And she's not the money person I am, so she says, okay, whatever you think. So anyway, uh, so we get the fan, and, and, then, and then I go to another section, and uh, the TV wall, you know what I'm saying? And I've been wanting a new TV for a while, and, and Cleveland's in the finals, and I'm like, Cleveland's never going to be here again, and, and, and our hotel only has like a 32-incher. So I'm sitting in front of a 60-inch TV that's UHD, and I look over to my wife, and she's not the budget person, and we could use it later, and... So we get the TV, and, and, so, and, and so, so we say to the guy, you know, get one out, we're, we're going to party hardy here, and, and so we take it all back to our hotel room, and, and the minivan is packed, right, and, and then we get to the hotel room, and, and I see that, that the color scheme, well, I don't really like it anymore. The color scheme is just off. Like, I just wish someone would change what's going on in the interior. So now I'm not just enough with the plush and the towel, but I asked Siri, do you know any interior designers? Because this color scheme just won't do with it. Now I've lost you, haven't I? And at this point, you're thinking either he's making this up or he's the neediest guy in the world. And, and the first one is true. We did go out for combos. Because, because what you're also thinking is why would you put so much time and energy and effort into a one-night stay? And if you were thinking that at all, that's my gotcha. That's my Yahtzee. That's my bingo. My friends, if that's what's coming, why would we put so much time, energy, and money into what is the equivalent of a one-night stay at a hotel? That's this place that we live in. That's the home that you go back to. And it might be a good hotel room, it might be a bad hotel room, but I'm here to tell you you're only there for one night, so what should we do about it? How about we live for the true party? How about we baptize our children and tell them about Jesus? How about we stay close to the Lord and try to get as many people as we possibly can to know how the world was fixed through Jesus? That's what we're here to do. Let's close with prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for all you have prepared for us and all the good you have given us. Though we have glimpses of good, let us not so fully enwrap ourselves with them that we lose you, the author of good. Keep our minds focused on that eternal home and let us know again this is a one-night stay. 
Thank you for fixing all the problems of this world and giving us hope and healing and joy and peace in the midst of tragedy. Please be with all those who are affected in Orlando, from the family who lost a son to a family who lost a daughter to all those affected by the shooting. Be with them and give them compassion and peace. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.